And so anyway, Revelation 19, we're in uh, biblical prophecy month. And so every Sunday we've been talking about biblical prophecy and we're going to do that today. And so as you can see on the screen, we're going to talk about the marriage supper of the lamb. And so let's all stand this morning, if you will. Now, let me just tell you this, and it sort of goes along with the way the service is going today because we've taken time for extra things. But I was, uh, this morning in my study early, I was going back over the message and, and honestly, just looking at it, and I'm thinking, Lord, there's no possible way, is there, that I'm gonna get all this in in 30 minutes. And I think the Lord confirmed that in my spirit this morning. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna break this up today, and I'll give you, a, I'll give you a, probably give you a part one, part two. We'll see how that goes. And so I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be very teachy this morning. I'm gonna really pay attention to my notes. I hope you'll forgive me for that. Uh, but I believe you'll learn something. I, I believe you'll learn something about the marriage supper of the Lamb. There might even be a few here this morning that never even heard of it. Uh, but if you're here today and you're born again, this is something that is coming. And it's something that you have to look forward to. This is going to be a great event. Uh, it really is. And so we'll talk about some of it today. And then, Lord willing, if it's Lord's will, we may finish it up a little bit later. But look at Revelation 19. We're just going to read uh, three verses this morning. We'll start in verse number 7 and read down through verse number 10. <clears throat> the Bible says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Notice the next few words. The Bible says, For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called, notice the phrase, unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, you may be seated this morning, and God has given me some other messages out of uh, some of these verses that we were just about to read, and we'll share those with you maybe in the next few weeks, but I want to talk to you a little bit about the marriage supper of the Lamb. What is it? What is it? And when's it going to happen? Uh, is it something that I have to look forward to? And if you're born again, of course, it is something that you have to look forward to. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful event. And so let's pray and then we'll jump right into the Bible study this morning, and I hope it'll make sense and be a blessing to you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and thank you for uh, this service that we have together today. It's been a great time, and it's been a great week, and we just praise you and thank you for all of your blessings. Now, Lord, as we set aside just a few moments, just a few moments to teach and preach the Word of God, God, I pray that uh, this would please you. I pray that it would be a help to your people. And Lord, I pray that they would be edified. I pray that they would be built up in the faith. And Lord, I pray that we'll leave today being able to say, oh, it was so good to be in the house of the Lord. I believe that ought to happen every Sunday. And uh, so Lord, come now. Holy Spirit, help us. We pray in a great way. And we thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And for his sake and all God's people said, amen. So let's talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb for a little bit today. Let me begin by saying this, that when reading and studying the Scripture, it's always beneficial to keep in mind that the Bible is a Jewish book. It's a Jewish book. The Jews, some, many of you know this, some of you may not, but the Jews were God's chosen people. By the way, still are. Still are. We don't teach something here at Calvary called replacement theology, which says that the church has replaced Israel 
and that Israel is no longer in the picture. Everything that was designed for Israel, all the promises that were designed for Israel are now promises to the church. That's not the case at all. Um, uh, the Jews were God's chosen people. Now you say, preacher, why was that? Well, that is something you'll have to talk to the Lord about one of these days when you uh, see him in heaven and maybe he can answer that for you. But we do need to establish this, that God used the Jewish people to give the word of God to the world. And so when reading the word of God, it's often very beneficial if we will study God's word using Jewish reading glasses. Now, as we read and study God's word, when we come to phrases like marriage, marriage of the lamb, and especially marriage supper, um, gonna be honest with you, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. Uh, maybe that doesn't resonate with you as far as our English language is concerned. But in Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, we're gonna really get into that today. In Jewish culture, when John, the apostle John, when he mentioned phrases like marriage of a lamb and especially marriage supper in Jewish culture, they knew exactly what he was referring to. And so they had no problem comprehending uh, what he was talking about. And so if we can understand Jewish culture, it'll shed some great light on this prophetic event that maybe many of you don't know about uh, called the marriage supper of the lamb. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna go through it with you, and it is very different than American culture. It's very different than, than people that have been westernized. That's you and me. Uh, we have cultures as well, you know, in, in weddings and marriages and things like that, but under Jewish culture, it was very, very different than what you and I have been exposed to. So I'm gonna talk to you about, uh, about marriage and the marriage supper uh, under Jewish culture. So first of all, we notice this, that the Jewish tradition first of all, included what's called the betrothal of the couple. The betrothal, betrothal of the couple. Now, we're working our way up to the marriage supper, so hang in there with me for just a few points here. The betrothal of the couple. Uh, the betrothal meant this. It meant that a contract, again, I know this is uh, different for you and me, but a contract was entered into by the parents of the bridegroom and the parents of the bride. Now, we no longer have arranged marriages in our culture, but I'm gonna be honest with you, still to this day, under Jewish culture, this is still going on. And so there was a contract that was entered into by the parents of the bride and by the parents of the bridegroom. The parents of the bride would declare that their daughter was indeed a virgin. We find that in Deuteronomy 22:15. Don't turn there right now, but Deuteronomy 22:15 talks about that. It talks about the tokens of her virginity. And that's what that was about. They would say, our daughter is chaste. She is a virgin. We're giving our virgin daughter to your son. And the parents of the bridegroom uh, would provide a dowry for their son's futures, uh, future wife. And, uh, and so once they declared, our daughter's a virgin, we're giving you our daughter's a chaste virgin, and the bridegroom's parents would provide a dowry. They would enter into what was known as the betrothal period or the engagement, the engagement time. Now, spiritually speaking, you say, preacher, what does that have to do with me? Because all of what I'm gonna teach you this morning is all a picture. Uh, and it's, and it, we're working our way up to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Spiritually speaking, did you know that you and I were betrothed to Christ at salvation? When you were saved, you entered into a contract. By the way, it is a contract that can never be broken. 
It can never be broken. Listen, friend, once a child of God, always a child of God. Now, uh, do we mess up? Yes. Do we make mistakes? Of course we do. But thank God we have 1 John 1, 9 that says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it's been over 41 years ago now for me that I came to that place where I realized I was lost and the Lord revealed that to me and he, and he exposed me to the gospel. And I remember going and speaking to my pastor and my pastor explained to me what Jesus Christ had done for me. And that day I, I received Christ as my savior and I entered into a betrothal period. I, I entered into a contract, an engagement uh, with the son of God. Not only that, but notice this, a dowry at that very moment, a dowry was provided as proof. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Our father, our heavenly father put a down payment on you and I uh, and, and that was this, that was this, saying this, that proof positive that Jesus was coming back to claim his bride. Now, I want you to hold your place in Revelation chapter 19, but I want to show you what I'm talking about. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter one, great chapter. And the, and the scripture I'm gonna give you is wonderful. You need to memorize this, learn it, uh, highlight it, underline it. Uh, great, great scripture. And again, I, wanna, I don't wanna lose you. When I got saved, I entered into a contract. I became a child of God. Not only that, but there was a dowry that was put down upon that contract. The Lord gave us his Holy Spirit. Look what our Bible says in Ephesians chapter one and verse 13. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, here it is, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Look at verse 14. Which is the, what's the word? earnest, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Now, again, I hope you're following me this morning. Earnest. When we got saved, God put his earnest down upon us. If you've ever bought a house or purchased a house, maybe you found that house that you wanted so bad and you told the realtor, that's the one. We want that one. And the realtor said, well, what you need to do then is you need to put down some earnest money. You need to put down some earnest. You need to put down a dowry. And what you're doing when you put that earnest down is you're saying this, that's our house. We want it. We're coming back to claim it. That's our house. Don't let anybody else have it because that's ours. We're coming back to claim what is ours. Listen, friend, when God saved you, he gave you his Holy Spirit. He put his Holy Spirit inside of you. That was a down payment. And what it said was this, my son is coming back just as sure as the world. He is coming back to claim what is his. Boy, I'm so glad I belong to him. Amen. I don't have to worry. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're born again, you don't have to worry. He is coming back to receive what is his. And so we see, first of all, that, that betrothal uh, of the couple. Number next is this. Look at this. We see not only the betrothal of the couple, but number two, we see the burden of waiting. The burden of waiting. Now, again, this is very different than our culture, but listen to this. Once the betrothal took place, and the contract was signed, often the actual marriage ceremony didn't happen up to a year. So here's this little couple, this little Jewish couple, and uh, these parents have arranged this marriage. 
And so they come together and, and the, the parents of the bride said, our daughter's a virgin. She's clean, she's pure, she's chaste. And we're gonna give our daughter to your son the parents of the bridegroom uh, take a dowry and they put a dowry down uh, uh, to, to, because they're receiving that daughter as their daughter-in-law. But then we see the burden of waiting. Uh, now, they waited sometimes for upwards of a year before they, were, uh, before they were wed. Now, the waiting period did two things. The waiting period, first of all, gave the groom time to examine the faithfulness of his bride. By the way, can I remind us of something? That's exactly where Joseph and Mary were. They were in that espousal. Mary had been espoused to Joseph. By the way, in, in, under Jewish culture, that espousal was as strong as the covenant of marriage. And so they were espoused to be married. In other words, they were given to one another. They were fully given to one another. Mary's parents had already declared she's a virgin. Joseph's parents had already put down a dowry because they were receiving Mary. And then they waited for a little while before the marriage ceremony took place. And in that time of waiting, what happened? Mary came up pregnant. And so that's why the Bible says that Joseph was minded to put her away privately. Hey, he was gonna divorce her. He was gonna divorce her because he was already engaged to her. He was gonna divorce her. And the angel Lord came and said, Joseph, this thing that's done in Mary is done of the Lord. And so you don't, don't fear, you take her to yourself because this is something that's done of God. And so that waiting period, now, now follow me, that waiting period to do things. It gave the groom time to examine the faithfulness of his bride, but it also did this. It gave the groom time to prepare wonderful accommodations for his bride. Now, you say, preacher, what does that have to do with me? That's where you are right now. We are in that waiting period. If you're here this morning and you've been born again, you've entered a contract. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But you know what? The, 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 we're engaged. We're betrothed. But now we're in that waiting period. And during that waiting period, uh, what's going on is this. The Lord wants to make sure that you're faithful. He's watching your faithfulness. He's watching what you do and how you do it and how you serve him. He's waiting. And listen, church, can I just encourage us during this waiting time, be faithful. Man, be faithful. If you're here this morning and, and you've wandered away from the will of God or gotten away from the things of the Lord, hey, get back in there. Man, get back in there. Why? Because during this waiting time, this waiting time is not designed to make you discouraged. This waiting time is time for you and I to be faithful, to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and, uh, and we want to be found faithful when our groom comes. But also, in this waiting time, there's something else going on. Our groom has went away to prepare us a wonderful, wonderful place. Now we'll get into that in just a moment. And so we see the betrothal of the couple. We see the burden of waiting. And here's the good part right here. Number next is this. We see the bold appearing of the bridegroom. And so here's this little couple. They've been engaged. They've been betrothed. They've been promised. Uh, there's been a contract that's entered into. The dowry has been paid. The earnest has been paid. They've waited now. Boy, they've wanted to be together so long. And so physically, they've not been together. Uh, and sometimes, uh, even by way of location, they've not been together. And oh, they couldn't wait to, to finally to be united. And we see the bold appearing of the bridegroom. Once the burden of time has passed, the bridegroom would go to the house of his bride, usually at midnight. 
and he would come to her house with, by the way, with quite a bit of fanfare. He would come to her house with a cry and he would come to her house often with the sound of trumpets uh, and he would receive his bride. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 25, 6, and at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. But wait a minute now. Not only did the bridegroom come to the bride's house, but that little bride was expecting her bridegroom. She didn't know exactly when it was coming. Uh, by the way, he didn't know exactly when it was coming. Under Jewish culture, the bridegroom didn't go get his bride until his father said, it's time. And when his father said, it's time to go get your bride. That son said, hot diggity dog. Well, not hot diggity dog, but uh, that's in the Hebrew. You just got to know it, amen? And uh, man, he would, get his, uh, he would get his cohorts together and his mates together, and they would go down the street making a parade and have torches and trumpets, and, and they would get to, get, get to her house, and he would let out a cry, and his little bride didn't know exactly when he was coming, but oh, she was so excited, and she was waiting. She was anticipating the day, and all of a sudden, she hears the cry, and she said, hey, it's it. This is the day. This is the day. And, uh, and she would go with her bridegroom, and at that point, listen to this now, at that point, she would be taken back to the groom's house where he had prepared a place. By the way, you know what that is? That is a picture of the rapture of the church. Now hold your place at Revelation chapter 19, but I want you to turn over to the book of John, the gospel of John. John chapter number 14, and look at verse number one. John 14. And verse number one, oh, this is good right here, church. Don't miss this. John 14, verse number one. You see, when you understand Jewish culture, all this begins to make sense. It begins to line up. John 14, verse one. Look what John says. Let not, look what Jesus says. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And Jesus said in verse two, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. By the way, has he ever lied to you? And he never will. He never will. And Jesus said, hey, bride, I've went away during that burden of, of, of waiting, and I'm preparing a place. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And so the, the bridegroom would go, and he would receive his bride, and they would make a parade back to the groom's house. Wait a minute now. This groom's home had been prepared not only for the wedding, but this groom's home had been prepared for great celebration. Now, follow me. Again, you got to understand this is very different in our culture. Under Jewish cult, custom, as soon as the groom brought his bride home, they would enter into the wedding chamber and physically consummate the marriage to assure that she was an innocent virgin. When Christ takes us out of this earth, we will immediately enter into the wedding chamber. Spiritually speaking, you know what that is? The judgment seat of Christ. And at that judgment seat of Christ, we will not be judged according to our sins. We will be judged according to our faithfulness. We'll be judged according to our works and what we've done for Christ and have we made our life count for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at that point, at that point, 
after the betrothal and after that burden of waiting and after that bold appearing of the bridegroom, I want you to understand something. At that point, you know what happens? Great celebration breaks out. Great celebration. Let me talk to you about that just for a moment. Several things here. Number one, look at this. The marriage will include a groom and a bride. Look back at Revelation 19, verse number seven. Revelation 19, verse seven. The Bible says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. Now, we know, church, we know who the lamb is. The word of God tells us over and over and over again, the Bible tells us who the lamb is. We know who the lamb is. The lamb is the lamb of God. The lamb is Jesus Christ, God's perfect son. We know who the lamb is, but I got a question for you. Who's the bride? Who's that bride that it's talking about? Can I show you? Can I show you? Hey, would you take your Bibles and I've got verse after verse after verse and I can't give you all these, but turn over to the book of Ephesians chapter number five, Ephesians five, and look at verse number 25 with me, if you will. The bride of Christ, you know who it is? It is the church. It's the church. Look at Ephesians chapter five, verse number 25. The Bible says there, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Skip down to verse number 31. The Bible says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. But look at verse 32. The Bible says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and what? and the church. And so thank God the bridegroom is the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the bride is you and me. The bride is the church. Something else I noticed about this passage, number next is this, the marriage supper includes much people. Flip back over to Revelation 19 very quickly and look at verse number one. Revelation 19, verse number one. The Bible says, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power under the Lord our God. Now, I read that this week, and I thought, man, hallelujah. Man, what a blessing. Now, you say, preacher, I'm missing it. What, what, what are you getting such a blessing about? I'm going to tell you, this scripture is encouraging because you know what it tells me? That there really are a lot of believers out there. Have you ever got to that place where you felt like you were the only one? Man, you felt like nobody else had your Christian principles, your Christian beliefs. Some of you work in places, and it feels like, you're, I mean, you're the, you're the last of the Mohicans. I mean, you're the last one. I mean, it seems like you're the only one that ever takes a stand. It seems like you're the only one who doesn't curse. You're the only one who doesn't do dope. You're the only one who doesn't drink. And sometimes, boy, you start feeling all alone. And what the Bible's telling us th here is this, that actually there's a lot of believers out there. Now, they may not look like you, and their culture may be different than your culture, but I'm telling you, one of these days, when we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, hey, I got news for you. It won't be our four no more. There's going to be a lot of people there, much people. And so thank God, the marriage supper includes much people. But look at this, number next. The marriage supper includes mercy. It includes mercy. Look, if you will, at verse number seven. He said, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And I'm interested in verse number eight. 
And to her, to the church, to his bride, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and what? White. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now we know this even in our culture. One of the reasons that a bride customarily wears white is because that color of white signifies her innocence and her purity. And you know what the Lord is saying? One of these days, I'm gonna let my bride, I'm gonna let the church be arrayed in white. I'm gonna let her be arrayed in a garment that says you're innocent. Oh, oh yes. You're innocent. You're righteous. Now church, the truth of the matter is, we're not. We're really not. You know what Isaiah said about our righteousnesses? Listen to this in Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah the prophet said, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf. And so technically, really, to be quite honest with you, you and I are really not that good. We're really not that pure. We're really not that clean. And yet one of these days, one of these days, we're going to be arrayed in white apparel. Why? Because God is saying, I'm going to see you as innocent. Now you say, but preacher, how? How? Can I show you? Hey, would you take your Bibles this morning and turn over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number four. And again, I'm skipping over so many verses today, but, but look at least at Romans chapter four and look at verse number five, and maybe this will bless you like it blessed me. Romans chapter four and verse number five. The Bible says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man. Look at this. Unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. You say, pastor, I know where I came from. I'm really not that great. Preacher, I know my back. My, my back. I know my past. I, I know where I've been. I, I know the scars. I have skeletons in my closet. How you say, preacher, I wish that I had a, I wish I had a, a clear past. I wish, I wish I had a clean past. And by the way, that's why we preach like we preach at Calvary Baptist Church, because maybe just maybe you made some mistakes. Maybe, just maybe, we can keep some of these kids from making some of the same mistakes that we made if we preach right and preach righteousness. But you say, Pastor, but that's not me. I know where I came from. A life of drugs, a life of alcohol, a life of immorality. I've made a lot of mistakes preaching my past. And how in the world am I going to be clothed in his, uh, in his white and his righteousness? And this is the reason. Because thank God when you got saved, you know what God did? God took your sinful account and put it on his son and God took his son's account and put it on yours and I'm telling you, when God looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. Wow. Man. And so the marriage supper includes much people. The marriage supper includes mercy. We're done. Listen to this. The marriage supper includes a manifesto. Now you say manifesto. A manifesto just means a public declaration of the leader. Now we're done, but I want you to flip back over to Revelation 19. Boy, if you've heard me, if you've heard me on any point, hear me on this one. Revelation 19, look at verse number nine. The Bible's talking about this marriage supper. Verse nine, and he saith unto me, write. John, here's what I want you to write. Blessed are they which are, what's the word? 
called. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Called. It's the Greek word kaleo, and it means invited. Blessed are those which are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, listen to this. That's not the bride. You don't invite the bride to the wedding. You don't engage a, a young lady and court her and fall in love with her and get down on one knee and put this rock on her finger and, and, and say, would you marry me? And she says, yes, I would. And, and, uh, and you go through the courtship and the engagement. And then all of a sudden, when you're about a week out from the wedding ceremony, you say, by the way, honey, I just want to let you know you're invited. <laughs> no, she is invited. In fact, she's what it's all about. When that bride walks in, everybody forgets about the bride your own man. And so she's invited. So let's not talk about the bride. You say, well, pastor, who are those invited, invited guests? These are the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints that trusted Christ in faith. And they're called, they're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now I'm done, I'm done. Now the outline doesn't end there, but I'm done. I wanna ask you a question. We know the lamb is Jesus. We know the bride is the church. Now I want you to be clear about something. When I say church, what I'm talking about and what the Bible's talking about, when it says church, it's that called out assembly that's come to faith in Jesus Christ. Not everybody in a church is a part of the church. You understand? That's clear teaching in the Bible. There's a lot of people that are in a church today, but they're not a part of the church. If you've come to that place where you realize you were lost and you desperately needed a savior and you placed your faith and trust in him, thank God you're a part of the church. Here's my question, we're done. Are you a part of the bride? Are you a part of the bride? Are you, hey dad, are you a part of the bride? Mom, teenager, young person, are you a part of the bride? Well, you say, Pastor, I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm preaching to a lot of good people. I'm not asking you if you're a good person. Are you a part of the bride? You say, well, preacher, I'm very socially active in the community. That's wonderful. But here's my question. Are you a part of the bride? Because there's coming a day, by the way, I believe sooner than later, the bridegroom is coming. And he's coming with a trumpet. And he's coming with a cry. And he's gonna take his bride to his home. Are you ready? Are you ready? You say, Brother Pope, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Well, thank God you're here. Because that's what we major in. We major on getting people ready. That's why we're here. Would you bow your heads with us this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a question or two. How many are here this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed, and you'd say, Pastor, if I died today, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am saved and on my way to heaven. 
If that's you, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up? You say, Pastor, I know that I'm born again. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. To God be the glory. You can lower your hands. Let me ask you another question, though. Would there be one here this morning under the sound of my voice, and you'd say, Pastor, if I died right now, I'm not 100% sure I'd go. If the bridegroom came today to call his bride away, Pastor, I'm not 100% sure that I would go. And I know this, preacher, I do not want to be left behind. If you're here this morning and say, preacher, that's me, that's me, and I want you to pray, I want you to pray for me that I'll do what I need to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking just for a moment, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now and allow me to pray, to pray for you? I see a hand. Is there somebody else? Preacher, if I died today, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Would you please, would you please pray for me? Is there anybody else? Can I pray for you today? Can I do that? All right, I want to ask you another question. We've been talking about biblical prophecy this month. And church, I'm going to be honest with you. The whole, really, the whole reason we, we even preach this is because, number one, we want you to be ready. Number two, we want you to get burdened. I wonder if there's somebody here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, I have somebody in my life and they're very dear to me. I love them like my own life. But I don't think they're ready. I don't think they're a part of that bride. I mean, Pastor, I don't know for sure. But I don't know that they're ready to meet the Lord. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, right now, you just slip their hand, your hand up, just slip your hand up hands all over the place hands there's a sea of hands everywhere today thank you so much you may lower your hands hey if you're really 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 burdened for them during this time of invitation might be a good opportunity for you just to slip out and just find a little secret place right here in the altar and just mention their name to the Lord of Lords Heavenly Father, I'm ready. I'm so thankful that I'm ready, but I've got some loved ones and they're not. And Lord, I want you to give me the opportunity to witness to them, to let my light shine, Lord, that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. I want them to go with me. I want them so bad to go with me. And folks are already making their way to the altars. So let's do this. Would you stand with us all over the house this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed just for a moment. If you're here this morning and you say, preacher, I've got such a burden. I've got a loved one, I've got a mom or a dad. Pastor, I've got a brother or sister, I've got children, maybe grandchildren. And you, you say, pastor, they've never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Oh, preacher, I want them to go. If the bridegroom were to come today, man, I want them to be involved in this time of celebration. Then right now, while we wait, while we pause just for a moment, if God's dealing with your heart, just slip out and come. Just slip out. Folks are continuing to come from all over the auditorium. Just come on right now. Just come on. Hey, we've got some personal workers down here in the altar with a Bible. And if you need somebody, if you need to talk to someone specifically, we've got some gentlemen down here in the, in the altar with a Bible. They'll be glad to pray with you. They'll be glad to help you and minister to you. And so while we wait, just for a moment, you come. Now, now the invitation is still open to the lost. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure I would go. 
If Jesus came today, I'm not sure I would go. Friend, don't you wait. Don't you procrastinate. Run down this aisle and let us take a Bible and show you how you can know that you know that you know. You say, Pastor, nobody can know. Oh, listen, I beg to differ. 1 John 5, 13, these things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Thank God you can know. While we wait, would you come? Would you come? Father, we thank you for your blessings. God, thank you for what you're doing in the altars right now. Oh, God, I pray because of this, I pray that destinies will be changed. God, I pray that people come to a saving knowledge of the Savior. God, do a great work. God, give us the opportunity to witness to our loved ones. Lord, help us to let our light shine like we've never let it shine. And God, I pray that others will be added to the kingdom. God, please help us, help us, help us today. Burden our hearts for the lost. Thank you for what you're doing. Have your way, Lord. And we thank you. 